Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that this podcast will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. The last day of July is dedicated to St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits. And today I'm speaking with Father Joe Laramie, a Jesuit, who is the national director of the Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network and also the author of the book, Abide in the Heart of Christ, a book that is a retreat on St. Ignatius of Loyola. And so who better than to talk with about St. Ignatius and his Marian devotion than Father Joe. So welcome to the show, How They Love Mary. Father Looney, thanks so much, and uh, great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people that might listen to this, especially some of my parishioners, they listen, and they might know a little bit about the Jesuits, but maybe only by name recognition now. So they know about Villanova, they know about Marquette or Gonzaga, (laughs) which are all Jesuit (laughs) universities. And so if they know that, well, then they maybe have heard a little bit about the Jesuits, but they might not know a lot about that, about your order. So would you be able just to give a brief little overview of who the Jesuits are? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, Jesuits, uh, you know, you might notice uh, sometimes uh, like March Madness, if we get a couple of teams that sneak into the uh, NCAA tournament. And certainly we're very proud of our Jesuit schools. We have 27 universities in the U.S. and, oh gosh, 50-something high schools. Um, I'm a proud graduate of SLU High and St. Louis University. So that's an all-boys high school and then uh, a co-ed Catholic college in St. Louis, Missouri. And I'm coming to you right here from Marquette University, where I'm currently living, And uh, Milwaukee is the headquarters of the Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network. Uh, Briefly, this is a uh, 176-year-old Jesuit ministry that is committed to promoting devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, as well as uh, monthly prayer intentions given by the Pope. And we're especially blessed to have a Jesuit Pope, uh, of course, Pope Francis, offering those intentions currently. Yes, St. Ignatius, um, super short overview. Catholic saint. He was born in Spain in the year 1491. I'm sure you're aware just a year after that, something big happened. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Um, Ignatius was from a wealthy family. He was a soldier in the Spanish army and was hit by a cannonball in the knee in a battle against the French. This happened at Pamplona, which is uh, where they have the running of the bulls every year. If you ever catch that on, like, late-night ESPN in the summertime. Um, it's hit by a cannonball, falls to the ground. Uh, everybody expects him to die. They rush him back to his family's castle, a place I've been in Loyola, Spain, his family castle, where they expect that he will die. Ignatius was something like, you know, today we might call him kind of a Christmas and Easter Catholic, more or less. You know, he's sort of culturally Catholic. Some of his family is quite devout, but... For Ignatius, you know, in a sense, he kind of goes through the motions, has respect for the church, but, uh, you know, is not really putting his whole heart into following Christ. Okay, well, he's on his bed, gets anointing of the sick, his family's praying for him, and then slowly, powerfully, he begins to recover from uh, this terrible wound to his knee. As he's lying there on his bed, uh, he asks for two books something to read to pass the time. You know, this is 500 years before Netflix, so he's got to have something to keep his mind occupied. What he really wants is books on uh, damsels in distress, dragons and knights. 
kind of the Marvel comics of his time. Well, they say, sorry, Ignatius, we don't have those books handy, but here's what we do have, a book on the life of Christ and a book on the lives of the saints. Now, again, whether his family actually had books on the knights or not, we don't know. Maybe they were just trying to point him in a good direction. But he starts reading these books, thinking, praying, sees these great saints doing amazing things for Christ the King. And he starts to wonder, you know what, maybe I could do something better with my life. Rather than just focusing on my own glory, my own career, my own prestige, what if I devoted myself to serving Christ the way these great saints did? Um, he decides to go on a pilgrimage. He walks to Rome, walks all the way to Rome, which from northern Spain, trust me, that is a long, long way. He's also still kind of limping as uh, his knee injury is only partly healed at this point. He stops at shrines. He stops for prayer. He talks to people about faith, about following Christ along the way. Starts jotting down little thoughts in kind of a notebook, if you will. Well, this is kind of the rough draft of what, what will become the spiritual exercises, which is really his masterpiece of the life of faith. This becomes really the Jesuit playbook for all the retreats that we would give throughout the centuries. And real briefly, this is a 30-day retreat if you do it in the full form. Uh, Jesuits, we all do this our very first year in the order. And it can be done... In a variety of ways, though, part of the genius of Ignatius is this is so flexible. It can be done over eight days. It can be done over a weekend as a preach retreat. We have uh, many great Jesuit retreat houses around the country. And in my book, a mode that St. Ignatius himself used is called a retreat in daily life, where you keep going about your business of uh, having a job, caring for your kids, but also you carve out a little time each day for prayer and reflection. Uh, you know, in a nutshell... That's a bit about St. Ignatius. And St. Ignatius then goes on to found the Jesuit order, uh, and they, and many of these Jesuits have become saintly Jesuits. So we think of St. Francis Xavier, uh, who was uh, a very prominent Jesuit that, that went and proclaimed the gospel uh, in foreign lands. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, how does the order come about? Yes. Um, so my previous job, I was uh, a campus minister at St. Louis University. Um, you know, many of us probably have fond memories of our college days. Well, one of the greatest decisions ever of housing and residence life at the University of Paris was that St. Ignatius and St. Francis Xavier were roommates. <laughs> they were roommates at the University of Paris. Uh, you know, when I was in college, I had a bad habit of uh, leaving my dirty laundry around the dorm room. And then my roommate had a habit of leaving old pizza boxes piled up in the corner. Well, it might have been a little different if St. Ignatius was your roommate. Now, he was already uh, diving deeply into a life of faith. But Francis Xavier is, you know, still somewhat worldly. Uh, he's athletic. He's wealthy. He's basically in law school and has his sights set on, uh, you know, a nice high-paying job. Well, St. Ignatius slowly wins him over to Christ. Um, Francis Xavier becomes this great missionary to Asia, uh, preaching in Japan and India and other places. And, you know, this is kind of how it starts, is basically on a college campus. Um, conversations with fellow students, leading these little retreats, um, gradually bringing folks together to work at homeless shelters, uh, serving the poor and those in need. Over time, this little band of brothers goes to the Pope and says, you know what, we feel like God has something big in store for us. We want to be not just 
a group of friends, but actually an official Catholic religious order. The Pope gives them his blessing, and then very quickly, again, it kind of started on a college campus, and Ignatius and the Jesuits begin these great Jesuit schools, teaching boys, teaching children, gradually uh, teaching college students, and so on. So we have this great network, really of both education, but also spiritual life that are kind of the hallmarks. So that's the foundation of the, the Jesuits, and as people come and they join the Jesuit order as they're sent out on mission, well, then that's how the spiritual exercises come about at, at, through their training and through their formation? Yes. So uh, all the Jesuits, we make the full 30-day spiritual exercises um, our very first year in the novitiate. So, yeah, this is four to five hours each day in prayer. You're also meeting with the Jesuit superior for spiritual direction. Um, otherwise, you're in silence all day long, except for, you know, saying the responses at Mass, you know, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Um, then each summer, Jesuits do an eight-day silent retreat. Um, and then, in fact, shortly after ordination, we again do the 30-day silent retreat. Um, so really just uh, this spiritual treasure of kind of diving into the writings of, of St. Ignatius, definitely using uh, scripture, um, devotion to Mary, which is uh, another, I think, kind of hallmark of St. Ignatius. And the idea is that then this spirituality really infuses everything else that we do, um, our education, our preaching, uh, our service to those in need, um, that this is really the the spiritual mustard seed that gives rise to everything else. The spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola are divided up into different sections, and he proposes these different things for one's meditation, for one's imaginative prayer. And thinking mm -hmm. about St. Ignatius and the Blessed Mother, uh, there are three different things that maybe come to mind. First, the conversation or the colloquy that you have with Jesus or with Mary or with God the Father uh, through the prayer. The second, um, you, you sent this one to me, which I wasn't aware of actually, which I really love, that Ignatius asked the person to contemplate Jesus saying goodbye to his mother just before his baptism, which isn't in the Gospels, uh, but it, as you mentioned, is a touching and human scene. And the similar thing that Jesus appears after the resurrection to his mother, Mary. So these are things that aren't in the scriptures themselves, but they allow us to really focus on the relationship of Jesus and Mary and what that might have been like in our own imaginative prayer. Absolutely. And Ignatius, uh, he's, he's a devoted Catholic, so he believes in scripture and tradition that definitely the Gospels are uh, a gift from the Holy Spirit, describing the life of Christ, and that there are some of these additional traditions in the Church that um, are not in conflict with the Gospel, but, you know, in a sense can kind of uh, fill out or sort of um, help us imagine additional aspects of the life of Jesus. Yeah, briefly, these two that you mentioned. Um, so Jesus leaving home. You know, again, main many of us who've been to college, maybe we can remember this moment. Um, you know, we've packed up our stuff. Uh, you know, mom and dad drove us in the minivan or the Chevy Suburban off to college. We're unpacking. And then, you know, there's this touching moment of, okay, goodbye, mom and dad. I love you. I know you've done so much for me. 
Now, of course, Jesus stays in touch with his mother. We see her uh, at different key moments in the Gospels, but Ignatius sees that, yeah, his baptism was the beginning of his public ministry, and that was the time when he left home uh, as a young adult. So even just to imagine, you know, this very touching moment, the love of Jesus for his mother, the love of Mary for her son. Um, Again, Catholic tradition teaches us that St. Joseph uh, has died by this point. Um, So he's the foster father of Jesus. So Mary is a widow, and Jesus is her, her only son. So, you know, just how powerful a moment that would be. Again, for St. Ignatius, uh, moving ahead in the, the life of Jesus a bit, is this resurrection appearance to Mary, which, as I understand it, was quite common, quite wi- widespread, uh, especially in the 1400s, 1500s in Spain. You see some artwork portraying this. And for St. Ignatius, the logic goes like this. Who is the person that Jesus loves more than any other? And, of course, he's going to appear to her the mother first. So he just kind of, you know, lightly sketches this out, but just invites us to ponder this moment. Um, I even wrote a little reflection on this uh, on my blog a while back that was uh, rooted in my own prayer. You know, just simply these two words exchanged. Jesus says to her, Mom. And Mary says to her, to, to her son, Jesus. Just that exchange of names, you know, we can imagine Mary's tears, her joy. Jesus embracing his mother now with this risen body. Um, You know, again, this really just powerful, touching moment of mother and son. And we see that in the Gospels, even with the resurrection appearance to Mary Magdalene, that that he says her name and then she says Rabboni. So to have that meditation that, that Jesus says mom and she says Jesus, well, the exchange of names is the love expressed for mother and son. And so that is a very beautiful sentiment. And I, th- I think that this notion that St. Ignatius really hands on, especially to all, the, to all of his sons who go on in the order, uh, even to this very day, is still very much alive and very prevalent. The idea of imaginative <laughs> prayer was one that was very rich in a, a priest that I followed. I accidentally happened upon his writings and ended up writing a mm. paper on it. But uh, Father mm. Daniel Lord, which he was down in St. Mm. Louis, and he authored so mm-hmm. many books, so many prayer pamphlets, prolific writer. But in a few of his writings, he had a little devotional book called Meditations uh, or Christ, Christ in Me. And uh, essentially, there are meditations after Mass that he would deliver to convents of sisters to lead them in a deeper meditation after Holy Communion. But he also had the Song of the Rosary. And the Song of the Rosary, he imagines the fact that maybe Mary was outside the upper room on the night of the Last Supper. And after the apostles and Jesus goes off, that there she enters and she cleans up the upper room, kind of being the world's first sacristan. And uh, maybe then, maybe then she receives the precious blood that there's just a little drop left in the chalice. And so she, she takes mm. it or that there was a crumb <laughs> left on the plate. And so that would have been maybe her first Holy Communion. 
He also proposed in In Christ in Me the idea of Mary's last communion, that John the Beloved mm. giving Mary Holy Communion at the end of her life. So these are things that are very rich topics for our meditation, uh, going beyond the scriptures in a sense, but allowing all of this to inform how it is that we pray. Maybe that was a long introduction to this question, but I think so many people in their own prayer might struggle with how is it that I'm to pray and thinking about the people in my parish. Maybe the way that they pray is, mm. God, help me right now. Or they pray the Our Father and the Hail Mary. <laughs> or they have a prayer book. And so they read 10 pages from that prayer book and they say the same 10 prayers every day. But it seems that what St. Ignatius proposes is a different style of prayer, a deeper prayer, this imaginative prayer, this conversation, the colloquy with Jesus. So mm -hmm. how can just an ordinary person being exposed to this maybe for the first time begin to engage that in their own life? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, gosh, one of our greats for sure, uh, Father Daniel Lord, um, great great apostle of the Sacred Heart um, in his preaching and writing. So, uh, yeah, he's definitely one of my heroes uh, in Jesuit life. You know, two words I'll offer um, for folks looking for a little help in prayer. Um, two words, personal and incarnational. Personal and incarnational. You know, and I think in St. Ignatius, we really see both of these words really highlighted and deepened. So personal. Um this personal relationship with Jesus, you know, this wasn't invented, um, you know, by some American church uh, in the 20th century. This, this goes all the way to the time of Jesus. This is a personal God who becomes man for us, who calls disciples and friends to himself, and that we are among those disciples and friends. So even this... Uh, what Ignatius calls a colloquy, a colloquy, kind of a fancy word just for a conversation with Jesus. You know, he says to engage the Lord as one friend does to another, or as a faithful servant would do uh, for their Lord. You know, just to really, you know, maybe after communion in particular. So we've been to Mass, uh, we've received communion, just even to take a minute or two um, to thank the Lord, uh, to tell him what's in my heart, um, Lord Jesus, I'm feeling maybe upset right now due to a family member who's ill or some stress in my job. Um, or Lord, here's a couple things I'm really grateful for right now. Um, this beautiful sunrise I saw this morning, or uh, just time in prayer together with people I love. So just this personal quality of our faith, and also to be sure we open a little window for, to let Jesus respond. <laughs> you know, it could be that he wants to offer something to me in that moment as well. So to be sure I'm listening as well as speaking. You know, and the Lord can speak in different ways, right? So he might, you know, offer me a few quiet words in prayer. Other times, maybe it's uh, through my emotions that the Lord gives me a sense of peace, um, a sense of hope about the future. You know, the Lord can communicate himself in so many different ways. So, first, personal, okay? Second, incarnational. Okay, and what does that mean? You know, in a sense, to not be afraid to use my body for prayer, okay? Now, again, in Catholic life, I think this is really uh, embedded in what we do. You know, we kneel, we stand, we use holy water, we bless ourselves, we make the sign of the cross. 
Ignatius invites us to use our five senses in prayer. Uh, and Father Looney, as you described it, sometimes this is called uh, Ignatian contemplation of a gospel passage. And again, we kind of sketched out some of these things, right? The, the resurrection. So let's say Jesus appearing to his mother. You know, just kind of take a moment to imagine that, you know? The sights, the sounds, the smells. Um, many of these resurrection appearances happen sort of uh, just as the sun is rising. We might imagine this kind of Middle Eastern scene, right? So in the Holy Land, where Jesus and Mary live, you know, perhaps Mary is still asleep, or she's just waking up, seeing the sunrise, and now she sees her son risen, meeting her for the first time following his violent death on the cross. Again, to imagine their faces for a moment, you know, the emotions, um, perhaps the tears flowing from Mary's face in this time. You know, and then also Ignatius says, and I will look to myself so as to draw some profit. You know, how do I feel as I look upon Mary, as I look upon Jesus in this scene? You know, not to be afraid to engage our five senses in prayer. So again, just to say, let's make it personal and incarnational. And do you teach this method of prayer in your book, Abide in the Heart of Christ, as you reflect on the writings of St. Ignatius of Loyola? You know, I think so. Um, again, that, that personal quality, um, which again, I think has a lot of resonance with devotion of the Sacred Heart, um, beholding the heart of Jesus. You know, in these Gospel passages, I might notice what he says and what he does, but even to look deeper still, what's, what's going on in his heart in these moments uh, as he reaches out to the poor, as he blesses children, uh, as he calls disciples to himself? Um, yeah, the spirit of imagination. Another one um, Ignatius offers us is, he calls it the call of the king. Uh, this is my, my final chapter. Um, so to imagine Christ as the great king of the whole world calling me to himself. Um, Ignatius even has this sort of uh, see the angels and saints standing around us, uh, you know, encouraging us, even cheering for us. That they have said yes to the call of Christ, and they want me to say the same. Um, so, yeah, I think that personal spirit and that uh, imagination spirit, I think, are uh, both present in my book. Just lastly, before we go into your Marian profile, you mentioned earlier that you started a new job as the National Director of the Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network. It used to be known as the mm -hmm. Apostleship of Prayer. And uh, it's a prestigious kind of membership. Back in the day, people would get little cards and they would join it, right? And uh, so some of them, like St. <laughs> Therese of Lisieux, was a member of um, the Apostleship of Prayer. Or I was just listening mm -hmm. to a, uh, a Lighthouse Catholic Media talk, and they had a little bonus clip about Pier Giorgio Forsati, and they said that he was a member. So mm -hmm. all of these different mm -hmm. people, these different <laughs> holy people, were part of the Apostleship of Prayer. Now, today, people don't join the Apostleship of Prayer. They just participate, or what does that look like, I, I guess, as they pray for the Pope's intentions? Yeah, that's right. Um, gosh, such a such a rich tradition. Um, yes, you're right. Those are two of our saints who are proud uh, card-carrying members of the Apostleship of Prayer. Um, and yes, there are still folks who are enrolled, um, we invite you to do that if you wish. Uh, you can get on our email list. Um, 
we have a, a very nice little website that is hopesprayerusa.net. Um, also, you know, we're in the 21st century, so we even have a little app that's called the Click to Pray app. Again, that's Click to Pray app. Um, so just to say, yeah, the gospel continues to infuse the culture in all these ways. So yes, we still have a membership role. Um, we have a website, we have an app. And again, it's the very same heart of Christ who speaks to us uh, in all these different ways. Um, also, from the early ages um, of this devotion, which again began in France uh, 176 years ago, we just had a big uh, jubilee a year ago on the 175th anniversary, um, there's this long tradition of monthly devotions, um, monthly prayer intentions offered by the Pope. So the popes early on saw just the real goodness and power of this community of prayer centered in the heart of Jesus. And the popes say, hey, I want to help you channel this prayer uh, into some of the important areas of our world today. You know, some of these are these big kind of papal visions, you know, something like uh, care for the world's poor or maybe peace in the Holy Land. Um, the month of July, it's, uh, it's care for the family. So, you know, families nowadays under so many uh, pressures and challenges and even sometimes attacks from the secular world, so to really pray for families. Um, again, all these ways are ways Christ calls us to devotion to his sacred heart, that spirit of prayer infused with Ignatian spirituality and devotion to the prayers, uh, Pope's monthly intention. Well, thank you so much for sharing about the Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network and uh, all the good work that you do, especially with your book, Abide in the Heart of Christ from Ave Maria Press. And maybe just uh, as a way to close the show, like I always do, uh, a few questions about your own personal Marian devotion that maybe as you share, it'll enlighten someone about an aspect of Mary that they hadn't considered and maybe will help them to deepen their own Marian devotion. So there are lots of different titles for the Blessed Mother, uh, and so there might be a title that you're invoking right now or one that is your favorite. Do you have a favorite title of Mary? I do. Um, this is a long Jesuit tradition of devotion to Our Lady of the Way, Our Lady of the Way, um, also known as, uh, let's see, what would it be in <laughs> Spanish? Uh, La Via? Maria... Yeah, La Via de, de la Strada. Um, <laughs> Madonna de la Strada. There we go. Okay, Madonna de la Strada. Um, so this was a, a religious image in Rome that Ignatius saw. He didn't paint it himself, but was really captivated by it. Um, it was kind of in this little roadside chapel that was kind of falling down. Um, and so Ignatius, uh, you know, in his Jesuit entrepreneurship, he got some lay people to help build a little chapel so this image could be uh, preserved and venerated properly. You know, simply enough, it is Mary uh, holding the child Jesus. They're both portrayed uh, with crowns, so showing uh, their, their honor and dignity. But this sense of Our Lady of the Way, that she's with us on our journey. You know, Jesuits, we don't have monasteries. Um, in fact, St. Ignatius tells us our home is the road, which is kind of tacitly telling us, look, guys, don't complain if you get assigned to a new place every few years, because that's what we do here, okay? Our home is the road. So 
So this sense of Mary being with us on the journey of life, Our Lady of the Way, Madonna della Strada, uh, I think that's powerful for me. Very nice. And uh, there are lots of different Marian devotional sacramentals out there, uh, like the Rosary, the Scapular, Miraculous Medal. Do you have a favorite Marian sacramental? Sure. I do love the Rosary. Um, in particular, I have one of these little uh, wrist rosaries that I can wear. I like to go walking and running. And so for me, again, kind of this prayer uh, on the journey of life, you know, it, it's hard to bring a, a gospel book with you while you're running and, uh, you know, kind of dangerous to run and read at the same time. But definitely you can pray a rosary together, right? Uh, just me and Mary and her son Jesus on the run, on the walk. Uh, again, just a real felt sense of Mary guiding me and blessing me and protecting me as I go. There are lots of prayers to the Blessed Mother. The most popular is the Hail Mary. The first half comes to us from sacred scripture. There are lots of prayers that the saints have written to the Blessed Mother that uh, that other people have written as well. Uh, do you have a favorite Marian prayer? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say um, the Hail Holy Queen um, is a favorite of mine. Um, again, I think for St. Ignatius, just this sense that... Um, Jesus is our king and Mary is our queen, so I'm happy to venerate her uh, under that title. People pray the rosary, uh, or Lady Fatima said pray the rosary every day for peace in the world, and so people try to do that. But I think some people become dissatisfied with the rosary as a form of prayer because they, they don't know how to pray the rosary or how to engage the mysteries, or they don't know if they did it right. So do you have a tip that can help someone pray the rosary better? Sure. You know, these two uh, key points I mentioned a moment ago, so uh, to keep it personal and incarnational. You know, to be diligent as much as I can, um, to, you know, not just say the words, but really a felt sense like, okay, this is a conversation with Mary. Um, I'm speaking to her as one of her beloved sons, that yes, I want to pray the prayers and offer her what's in my heart. And then second, that uh, incarnational aspect, to be not afraid to use my imagination on these different mysteries. So to see Mary present at the wedding of Cana, um, to see Mary powerfully uh, raised in the assumption, Mary now with a risen body together with her son, you know, to really use my imagination to help uh, animate these scenes. Beautiful. And Mary makes a lot of different appearances in sacred scripture. We learn a lot about her from the evangelist Luke. There are lots of foreshadowings of Mary in the Old Testament. Is there a favorite Marian mm -hmm. Bible passage or reference that you have? Yeah, um, gosh, I would say, um, yeah, that scene of Mary at the foot of the cross. Um, and again, in John's Gospel, you've got Mary and John, the beloved disciple, as kind of the two key figures there. And Jesus, among his final words, are simply, uh, Mother, behold your son, and behold your mother. That sense of Jesus giving us to Mary and giving Mary to us, uh, you know, I think that's one I think about quite a bit. The Blessed Mother has appeared all throughout the world uh, in many different places. Is there a favorite story or place of Marian apparition that you know or have been to? You know, one I'd love to get to someday is Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico. Um, that's one I would always teach about in December 
um, when I was a high school teacher to really tell the boys about that. I think they found it really captivating, just such a, a rich history there with Juan Diego, um, the power of that image that continues, you know, 500 years after the original vision. Um, so that's one I'd love to get to is Guadalupe. And a lot of these shrines to Mary, some of them are apparition sites, but there are lots of different shrines to the Blessed Mother. You're down in Milwaukee, so there's the shrine of mm-hmm. a, a Holy Hill, a Mary Help of Christians, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other Mary right outside of St. Louis. There's Our Lady of the Snows. So mm-hmm. I guess, uh, is there a favorite Marian shrine or a Marian shrine that you've visited that has left an impression on you? Yeah, that one... Uh our Lady of the Snows in St. Louis. Um, and I wrote a little blog reflection on that, if you want to check that out. Um, it was built uh, in the 1950s, and, you know, it just has some of this architecture that it looks like an episode of the Jetsons, you know, <laughs> if you remember that old cartoon, yes, yeah. which is this kind of like 1950s futurism, but also it's in a Catholic setting. Um so it's a little funky. Um, they have this giant steel spire that kind of goes up. Uh, I guess the image is lifting our prayers up to heaven. So you've got all this stuff. You've also got these really just beautiful areas where families can walk or, you know, play a little soccer game or something. But again, the center of it all is this simple poor woman from Nazareth um, who is filled with love for us. Again, she has a risen body with her son. This is what we celebrate um, on the Feast of the Assumption, coming up on August 15th. So for me, yeah, kind of the the complexity and beauty of that place, but also the real simple humanness of Mary, our mother. Yeah, it, it is a very beautiful shrine. I've been there a few times. Uh, it was one of the memories that I have of a shrine as a little boy, not because I went there on pilgrimage, but because I would always go to the mailbox and get the mail. And so there would always be, you know, some circulars coming from the shrine down there of Our Lady of the Snow. So so that was like my first memory of a Marian shrine was just getting all that mail that my family did. And, and I always wanted to go there then as a result. So it was one of those uh, burning desires of my heart uh, to go to Our Lady of the Snows. You mentioned I was a little disappointed, to be honest, uh, but <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, it's a place of devotion to the Blessed Mother and uh, a beautiful place um, where people, especially locals, have gone and they've prayed there, and, and it is a place of grace, and so we do acknowledge that for sure. There are lots mm-hmm. of different books about the Blessed Mother out there. Uh, some of the saints have written books about Mary. Contemporary people like myself have written books about Mary. Do you have a Marian book that you would recommend? Ooh, Marian book I'd recommend. Um, you know, I'll tell you what I like is just uh, this little booklet. Um, I think Magnificat put it out uh, a few years back. That is just a series of little reflections on the rosary. Um you know, it just kind of goes through the, the 20 different mysteries that we have, now the four four sets of mysteries, with a little short reflection. Um, you know, just for me, sometimes I think short and sweet is kind of nice, and, uh, you know, that's one that I keep going back to. Okay, and finally, as a priest, as a person who's attended Masses on Feasts of Mary, especially the Assumption, Immaculate Conception, Mother of God— 
Of course, we sing Marian hymns. Is there a hymn that you always hope that they will sing at one of those Marian feast days? Yeah. Um, in Jesuit life, actually, um, we often will close on big Marian feast days. Um, we'll close with the Regina Chaley um, as a way of celebrating and honoring Mary together. So, uh, yeah, that one's always fun to sing with my brothers. Well, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Father, for joining me today on How They Love Mary to talk a little bit about uh, St. Ignatius on his feast day, to talk about your book, Abide in the Heart of Christ, available from Ave Maria Press. And throughout this show, you've actually mentioned your blog and a blog post. And so obviously you have a blog out there, but how is it if people want to follow you on the internet, how can they do that? Sure. Um, I've got my own little website and uh Father Looney, I was just looking at yours. Yours looks very sharp also. And mine is kind of like yours, just my name. So joelaramiesj.com. Again, my blog is on there, so you can track it down. Um, and then my organization is Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network. Um, our website is popesprayerusa.net. And then people can follow you on social media, on Twitter, at joelaramiesj as well. And I know I've been following your content and uh, really enjoy seeing it. So, well, well, thanks so much for the conversation today. And uh, I hope people check out your book and they'll also check out the Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network and joining the Holy Father and praying for his intentions. Thanks so much and happy feast. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Uh, you've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope it has either been the beginning or deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you like this podcast, please leave a review so others might find it as well, or even share it on your social media platforms. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.